it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 46. Andrew and I are going to continue our series on Back to the Basics, and today we're going to talk about buy and hold and why that's important, as well as compound interest and some other interesting topics. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew, and he's going to start off our chat. Yeah, let me just say to kind of right off the bat, even if these kind of things really make sense, and it's some of the wisdom that you hear, you've probably heard over and over and over again, if, if you've read any sort of investing books and kind of get yourself involved with the whole scene, right? These are a lot of the things that are common. I'm hoping with these episodes that we're going at such a level that's so in-depth that you're still picking up things that are valuable. And the whole goal of this is to really get things to stick because it's one thing to hear something, but if you can take these basics and really master them, give yourself the reasons why and give yourself not just the how, but the why. Give yourself really a firm foundation and understanding on why these things are applicable and why when things get tough, you're going to have these values to stick to. And so it's important to get this mastery rather than just floating through the wind. And when adversity comes, you might forget if you don't have this foundation, you might forget about all these lessons or you just might be stubborn and not listen to what's been proven and, and this kind of like conventional logic when it comes to the stock market and investing. And so I think it, it really can have a big impact on your final results as you navigate through the stock market. And I think that applies whether you're an absolute beginner or even if you're more seasoned to get these lessons kind of drilled in and really master them, I think can really go a long way. So, I mean, if you haven't listened through this back to the basic series all the way through, I, I would kind of recommend going through them. I think there's a lot of good value here. And obviously today, even if you've heard that you should buy and hold or you should diversify or you should dollar cost average, the kind of things that you always hear, I think it's still important to to get some more information and, and get some more perspective because you know these are the kind of things that I would want to teach to somebody who's close to me if, if they're getting first started in the market and 
try to get a broad sense of everything you need to learn and also really laser focus down into the big fundamental principles and why they're, they are important. And so I think it can be useful in that way too. What I did and why I want to talk about buy and hold first is this is something you'll hear a lot. And this is something that really will be your biggest advantage in the stock market when you're buying stocks is this idea of buy and hold. So what buy and hold means is buying a stock and holding it. It's not trying to time the market. It's not trying to buy a stock low and sell high and kind of being done with it. I mean, buy low, sell high is very important. But at the end of the day, you're going to win not because of the stocks that you pick and the individual companies, but you're going to win because you are in for the long term. So I'm sure you've heard over and over and over again about the metaphor with the tortoise and the hare and how it's important to be patient and and to look at everything in the long term. And that's not for reasons just because it's conventional wisdom when it comes to a lot of different areas in life. It's because this is going to be a big advantage to investing in the stock market and especially in the stock market and especially in the environment that we are in today, the environment that we've seen for years and decades past. And it's really valuable to to understand these things. So when we talk about buy and hold, what that means is investing is not like a single action or choice. Investing is going to be something that's long-term that you're consistently doing as a habit and that when you reach financial freedom, the idea is that you'll still be invested, but you'll be able to draw from from your, your nest egg, as as a lot of the personal finance people like to call it, the nest egg, being able to draw from that and also keeping it intact so it allows it to grow. And so you have like a, a golden goose to say. So you have this goose that's laying golden eggs, but you're not killing the goose. The goose is still laying eggs and, and it actually continues to grow over time. Assuming that you're in there for the long term, assuming that business continues to run as business does for the next decades and years uh, to go ahead. So one way that I really think buy and hold is powerful and other than just hearing it from people over and over again is I took some simple facts, right? Look at the S&P 500, which is basically the index that we look at when we talk about the market, the stock market. Uh, it's it's representative of, of a, a good majority of the stocks that are in the US and it's kind of been the driving factor. There's tens of trillions of dollars currently in in the S&P 500 and it just makes a big portion of of not just the US economy but but the world economy as a whole these are major corporations that are really driving business in in the entire world and so what I did was I looked at a stock chart of the S&P 500 and we can really get some great lessons from this just looking back into history as an aside you you used to be able to do this with Google Finance for whatever reason they took out that that feature. So I used Yahoo Finance and it showed me S&P 500 data all the way back to 1970. So what I I found interesting when looking at this data, okay, obviously you look at a long-term chart of the S&P 500 and especially at a time like today when when we're in the, after a very long bull market, we've seen this, 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 sort of prosperity and all all these great gains that have come from the market recently because of of the strong economy and a lot of people putting money into stocks. So you see a general and it looks exponential now because of how much growth we've seen the past couple of years. 
you go from the bottom left of a screen to the top right of a screen. You see a nice, a nice growth, right? And depending on which time period you look at, um, it's, it's going to be something similar when you look at a long enough time frame. So what I found interesting is that, you know, obviously it's, it's gone from lower to higher levels and it's seemed to consistently get higher. So even though you have recessions, even though you have bear markets, even though you have stock market crashes, it, uh, it has always recovered. And it's done that not only since uh, the 1970s, which is when this data is out, it's done that for hundreds of years. And it always recovers at a higher level than than where it was previously. So you'll see like, for example, in 2000, and then you had, you had the crash after the dot-com bubble. Um, the market's definitely recovered from that and, and it's continued to go higher. That's why you always hear all-time highs, all-time highs. It's important to look at the data and still get some perspective on that. So what I did was I looked at 20-year time periods. So when you're talking about investing, uh, you want to be a long-term investor. And usually, you know, from a technical standpoint, they're talking about holding an investment for longer than a year. Uh, that's when the capital gains specifically determines your investment as a long-term investment rather than a short-term investment. It's just like a technical term. But really, if you're going to get into the stock market and and you're you're expecting to have consistent and reliable gains from the stock market, you really should be looking at a period of not even 10 years, but 15 to 20 years. And I think this data should really show you why. And it's a big reason why when you talk to financial advisors, um, they have like target funds and, and they'll, they'll tend to change your allocations between stocks and bonds depending on how close you are to retirement. So we talked about bonds last week and, and you know, some of the impacts of it, how it has a lot lower volatility than stocks, how it can really preserve your capital, especially in a shorter time period because of the nature of bonds. And so, you know, when, when you have a 55 a year old investor who has only 10 years to retirement, probably, a lot of financial advisors will recommend getting more into bonds than stocks at that time. And it's because that these financial advisors understand how the market has historically worked and understand how just investing works in general and how the S&P 500 has acted. So uh, somebody who's 55 will have a different asset allocation is, is, is the technical term behind it. They'll have a different asset allocation and different exposure to the stock market than like a 35-year-old or a 25-year-old, somebody with the ability to be able to stay in the market for 15 to 20 to, to even longer uh, time periods. So what I found interesting is I took just random 20-year time periods, right? Obviously, you have bear and bull markets. You have peaks and, tr- and, uh, peaks and troughs, and, and you have times where the market has lost a considerable um, amount of money. Um, even from i think the let me see i have on my website this was recent as of 2013 the most the s&p 500 has ever lost in a year is 38.49 percent so i mean you know when you compound that over a couple years yeah a lot of people lost half of their money for a whole year you're talking about less than half and and you're talking about recoveries within the next couple years after that so while you know things really get essentialized and and people really freak out and think the world is ending when these type of things happen it's it's been proven time and time again and it has not failed yet that the market 
uh, always recovers. That's that's not that's not as 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 we're recording this today in 2017. That's never not happened. There's always been a recovery, and yes, there has been short term hard time periods, but there's always been recovery over the long term. We've always seen capital growth in the S&P 500. The worst one day loss for the S&P 500 was in 2008 and it was a minus 9%. So again, I mean, you know, these are significant numbers, but we're not talking about amounts that should really draw anyone to suicide or draw anyone to really have significant damage to themselves as long as they keep to principles, as long as they stay like everything we're talking about in this episode today, as long as they buy and hold and they and they hold for the long term and they diversify and they dollar cost average, all of those things. Um, obviously there's extremes, but this is why the principles matter and this is why this is how you can utilize them and really keep yourself away from the highly charged emotions that tend to happen when we have trouble. So nineteen seventy to nineteen ninety, let's take a twenty year time period. And obviously, with every 20-year time period, there were peaks and, and valleys and ups and downs and crashes and, and, and consistent gains. But tw- over 20 years, I'm always seeing significant gains. From 1970, the S&P was around 100. 1990, it was almost 400. So we're talking about a 4X, okay? 1980 to 2000 went from around 132 to around 1,400. That's huge. 1990 to 2010, from 320-ish to 1,000. So, you know, from 2000 to 2010, you actually saw it decline, but still over a 20-year time period, we're seeing huge gains. From 1997 to 2007, uh, 1997 was around the time right before the big dot-com bubble. It was actually still kind of brewing, if you will. We're talking about from from 786 to 2673. That's over triple. Okay. A common theme here is over a 20 year time period, we're seeing nice gains. We're seeing doubles, triples, quadruples. And so, okay, you might be thinking, well, that sounds really cherry picked, right? Uh, we're just going 1970, 1980, 1990. Maybe it just so happened that those 20 year time periods were good ones to pick. So what I did was I went to the absolute bottoms of the markets, right? And let's look at the 20 years prior to that and compare it to now. So 2002 was a market bottom. Uh, the S&P was at 815. Uh, rewind 20 years in 1982, the S&P was around 116. So a lot more than quadruple there. Uh, 2009 was another market down. Looking at around 800. 20 years prior, 1989, it's around 300. So you still doubled your money. And this is doing the absolute worst timing and looking over just a 20-year time period. You can obviously hold longer and maybe see better gains. Let's look at another one, 1987. Around 1987, we saw, I think it was Black Monday and and some other traumatic events in the stock market. Talking about the S&P around 250. Now, the data doesn't go back to 1967, which would be 20 years, but 17 years prior, 1970, which is how far back it goes, you're looking at the S&P at around 90 to 100. So still, a, your, mark, your money's still about doubled, even though we are doing the hypothetical of selling at the market bottom. We covered this a lot in episode two. Um, 
we had a guest on named Braden. He's a listener. And on a tangent, he actually has a, a cool podcast now called Stratosphere Investing. So he's somebody who is an absolute beginner and now has been able to take some of the knowledge that, that we've taught through the podcasts and, and our other resources. And now he's, he's really venturing on and, and getting more skills with the stock market. So I think that's really cool. But we talked about on that episode, episode two, how timing the market doesn't matter that much. There was an investor. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Who always invested at the wrong times, 1973, 1987, Black Monday, 1987, 2007. And he put 50000 in the market at each of those times, which were right before you know, the market pretty much tanked each time. And he still made over 1.6 million just because he held and continued to let the money grow and let the market do its thing over time. So one last thing on the, on the chart with the S and P 500, we, I talked about 20 year time periods. I think that's now that I just kind of looked at the data. I think that's a really nice place to be in. And, and when we talk about long-term investing, no one really has a definition but I think that's a great place to start. 
and you should have a lot of confidence in knowing that because this is what the market has done for pretty much every 20 year time period you could look at this is why we're going to be confident and this is why we're going to hold and this is why when the media says the world is ending and the economy is in the gutter and there seems to be no way out this is why we're going to still hold and we're going to let the market recover and not worry that well i might have bought at the top or you know the market's been going up for years and years and years i should just stay on the sidelines and not put money in no these pieces of data which anybody can look up and anybody can pull up a chart and see this has been the reality and as long as you believe that business will continue to grow people will continue to work in their own interests businesses will continue to find innovations and the economy will continue you know people will continue to spend money then it makes no sense to not believe in these things and not really want to buy and hold for the long term one last little tidbit on the market data that i found I wanted to look at, so yes, we, you know, over 20, over a long enough time period, we saw not only recoveries from any sorts of crashes or bear markets, but we also saw, you know, gains and doubles and triples and all those sorts of things. Well, I wanted to just look because obviously you have time periods where maybe you bought at the top and it took a long time for the market to recover back to that top, right? So let's look at those time periods and see when that would have happened. Because obviously, nobody likes to lose money. Nobody likes to see their capital in the red. I looked at the top like 2000, and I saw that it took until 2007 for that for the S&P to recover after dropping after two, after the year 2000. Same thing happened from 2002 to 2009, and the same thing happened from 1973 to 1980. So I wasn't out looking for a pattern like this, but I thought it was interesting that there were three seven-year time periods where buying at the absolute top uh, still still needed like seven years for the market to recover from that. That's obviously a long time to be in the red. But again, think of it as a long-term thing, right? We are putting money in the market. There's nobody that says you need to put all your money in at one time and not not put any money in after that. This is This is a habit just like, Uh, fitness, just like eating well, just like, you know, budgeting your money, just like driving safely. These are all things you always do. And so even looking at these worst case scenarios to think that seven years is all it took for recovery. This is the power of really being a long-term investor, really having a long mindset. So yeah, it looks like there is a big difference between holding for 15 to 20 years and holding for five to seven years. You'll tend to see if you look at kind of common knowledge or, or when people are on the internet and maybe spouting things that they call to be true, but maybe aren't, they'll, they'll say, well, maybe a long-term investment is five to seven years. I think we really need to look further than that. And I think obviously coming from the perspective of a beginner and coming from perspective of somebody who's starting young, I see a lot of potential in really holding for long time periods, holding for these 20 year time periods. I think the data obviously shows that. And I think even in these worst case scenarios, like I said before, nobody said, nobody says you need to put all your money in uh, at the top. And then nobody says you need to sell within a year, two years, three years, four years, five, six, or even seven when it finally breaks even. It's up to you how long you want to hold your money. So 
if you know that eventually over a couple decades you're historically likely to double triple quadruple your money then why would you sell it seven years why not continue to ride it out why not let the market do its thing so there's a lot of power there and this is a big reason why investing works and why a lot of people lose a lot of money in investing is because they don't understand this about the market they don't take the time to really examine well what's the market done what what has it done what what do we expect it will continue to do and so you know they they try to shortcut things they they try to really find little t- tricks and techniques and 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 try to time the market and try to feel like they have some sort of crystal ball that's not what we do here uh, we talk about long long term things we talk about foundational principles and this is a big reason why is because the data backs it up and all it ta- all it took what is a look at the chart uh, that's not even getting into the countless amounts of, of studies and research that's been done by people way smarter than me with way more experience than me. You read enough investing books and, and you'll realize they all say the same thing. Hopefully this little snippet that we did here on, on the podcast really hammers that home and it's something you can verify right away. And so I think it's it's a really big key of why you want to buy and hold. And if you think about like we've talked about in the past couple episodes uh, on back to the basics, when you're buying a stock, you are buying part ownership of a business. A business will grow if it's a good business and it will compound your money for you and it's going to create wealth and you don't have to do much other than sit there and let it do its thing. So the market has shown that it can do that. Individual businesses have shown that it can do that. And so it only makes sense for you to get out of the way and let those things happen. And so if you can understand that this is how the market has worked and this is how you can expect it to work in the future, then you'll understand why we always talk about why it doesn't matter when you get in. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't care what CNBC is talking about with the stocks or the economy or the macro or the micro or interest rates or any of this sort of stuff. It's because I'm looking big picture and I have a a firm understanding of how I expect the market to go, how it's gone for hundreds of years and how it's gone for the past couple decades and and all of those things. And using this knowledge, you can really feel confident and and start buying stocks and start letting that money compound and not have to sit on the sidelines much longer. So I think that's really one of the big principles that we all need to hone down on, understand and apply when it comes to investing. That's kind of how the price history as far as the S&P has gone. Maybe it, it makes sense now to look at what even the S&P 500 means. We haven't covered this yet. We talked about how stocks kind of work through the exchanges. But the S&P 500 is basically 500 stocks that they made this formula. It's 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 a, a branch of McGraw-Hill Publishing Um they're the ones who, who determine which, which stocks go into the S&P 500. And so they made a formula, and basically if a stock makes, makes, meets this criteria, then, then it'll be added to the index. Um, something that I really wanted to make sure everybody understands, when, when you look at the S&P 500, you look at the Dow, these are groups of stocks that other people have determined um, kind of represent the market. And so I think the S&P is, is, a good, is a good one. The Dow, maybe not so much, and, and we can get into that a little bit. 
But what's important to understand is, is both of these indexes are weighted. So what that means is, you know, they're going to add all the stocks. So the S&P 500 has 500 stocks. They're going to add all the price action of, of all those stocks and, and kind of combine it all together. And that's what you're going to see in the ticker. So when you see that the S&P 500 has gone up like a percent, then you know that, you know, some of the stocks in the S&P might have gone up 5%, some might have gone up 3 some might have lost 5 But on average, when you add all those up, that's that's what's happened in the S&P. Now, they're, they're weighted, and what that means is the bigger stocks are going to have a bigger impact on the S&P 500. So you think about, like, Apple, ExxonMobil, those stocks when they move, they're going to move the S&P at a higher, they're going to have a higher uh, influence on the S&P price because they are bigger companies. They have higher market capitalizations. They have more capital inside them. So their price movements are going to move the S&P kind of at, at, at a higher rate than than the smaller stocks will. And that's the same case with the Dow. And so that's also something important to understand is just because you're buying stocks in the S&P or, or out of the S&P doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get the same kind of results as the S&P 500. So, for example, even if you bought every stock in the S&P 500 and you bought one share of every of all 500 stocks, your portfolio is not going to move in the same place as the S&P because the S&P is weighted and so... Even though in your portfolio, 1% here and 2% there is going to, is going to have the same effect, whether it's Apple, Exxon, or a small company. For the S&P, it's different because they are weighted. Um, I guess a little bit of a tangent, but something good to know. So this is, these are the two indexes that really represent what's going on in the market. And this is the reason why the media and, you know, all the financial websites really, refer to them as, as because of that. And so really there, I mean, something you can glean from that is, is there's an advantage to buying smaller. The S&P will drop. And when it drops, uh, a lot of the stocks that are bid up to these higher valuations will kind of drop further than, than some of the smaller ones. If you think about really buying low, selling high, and uh, this is something I want to cover more in the next episode, but when you, when you really buy stocks that aren't bubbles versus having an index that has a lot of bubbles, the the bigger bubble stocks that that are really bid up at a high price for no reason for no good reason, uh, when they crash, they're really going to bring that index down. But your own individual stocks might not go down that much just because you didn't buy bubble stocks. So that's a huge advantage that we can take advantage of, and and something that's maybe a little bit more advanced. That we've talked about before and we'll talk about next week, but keep that in mind. That's another great advantage you can have as an investor is just simply staying away from the bubble stocks. And because the S&P 500 is weighted, it's going to really drop at a much higher rate than your stocks might because your portfolio is not weighted. So you kind of have the S&P, you got the Dow, you have buy and hold. I think the next thing to really think about is diversification and dollar cost averaging. So obviously diversification is key because you're going to not every stock's going to work in the way that you want and there's really no way to predict 
that you're going to buy a winner every single time. And also keep in mind that stocks go in and out of the S&P as they get better or worse. So you don't see huge turnover with the S&P, but you'll tend to see a small handful, maybe anywhere from one to five stocks, maybe up to 10 some years that will either leave or join the S&P. So the S&P 500 is kind of always self-regulating and keeping the good businesses in there. You're going to need to do that with, with your own portfolio in the sense that by being diversified, you are giving yourself more of the, the odds on your side. So when you look at the S&P, and we, every, every day the point I talked about coming up, leading up to this today, that's, that's all an average, right? So some of the stocks on, in the S&P that have really carried the market that's not the case for every stock and a lot of stocks have really helped the market crash and that's not the case for every stock either so by diversifying you're getting closer to to kind of what the market does now obviously you're not putting your all your eggs in one basket that kind of makes sense too and you just have to understand that are you going to put your financial future in the hands of a single company or are you going to do it in the business world in general. So, you know, as much as I love to believe in the different stocks that I use every day, you know, I have certain restaurants I like to go to, I have certain products I like to use and, and everything looks like it, the future always seems like it's so predictable in the present, but as things turn out, it never turns out that way. So even though I, I love using Microsoft and I believe it's been around for so long and, I don't see any reason why it would go away. I'm sure a lot of people thought about that way about Blockbuster and, and just countless other examples. So you want to really believe in the business world in general. And if you believe that business will continue tomorrow, we don't know what those names will be. That's why we diversify and we combine it with long-term, with a long-term approach. So we've talked about before and, and it's a lot of kind of common knowledge as far as optimal diversification uh, you can look way back in the archives. Our first episode was about optimal diversification, but that tends to be around 15 to 20 stocks. And that's kind of where I keep keep myself. Um, it, it's good to expose yourself to different industries, obviously different companies. You know, some industries and some stocks do better in certain market environments than others. Um, so it's always a good idea to kind of average out your performance. Let let business run its course and again, stay out of the way, but make sure you're not putting all this blind hope in a single stock. And just because you believe it doesn't make it true. And so we want to want to limit our downside. Yes, it might cap our upside, but it's going to be more towards, again, the things we can control, the things we know and the foundational principles that we know to be true. Just by looking at the data we talked about today, we know that if we can get closer to the market, have a portfolio that's closer to the market, then we can expect over a 15 to 20 year or higher time period to do really, really well. Well, obviously, let's do that. And so you can obviously have different strategies to, to really optimize which stocks you're getting into, but it's really important to diversify, make sure you have enough positions to really let let your exposure and let your ownership in businesses 
be focused on business and the economy in general and not too concentrated on a certain stock or even industry that might might not be around 10, 20 years from now. So keep that in mind. And the last thing we should talk about today is dollar dollar cost averaging. This is a a huge thing and, and a big thing that I talk about in Seven Steps Understanding the Stock Market, which is the ebook that I offer for free at stockmarketpdf.com. You probably hear it over and over again in our episodes. And it's really key. And Dave, I'll let you kind of speak on dollar cost averaging a little bit. Like how do you Im- implement it and why do you think it works for you? And then maybe we can wrap up. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Okay, sounds great. So dollar cost averaging. Uh, the cool thing about it is it allows you to buy into stocks that you would not normally be able to throw a lot of money at. So let's say that you are a beginning investor and you want to start, but you don't make a lot of money. Dollar cost averaging allows you to put a small amount of money to work for you in the market at a rate that will compound over time. So Andrew uh, likes to go with $150 mark, and I think that's a great place to start. And, you know, you save that, you know, it's like a savings account. So you take that $150 and every month you buy something new. It doesn't have to be buy something new, but you can invest more money into the stock market. And you can just take an example of, let's say you wanted to buy Apple. Uh, The current price of Apple is $169. So with $150, you can't necessarily buy a full share. And I know with Ally Invest, I can buy partial shares of stocks. And so with $150, I can buy a partial share of Apple. So let's say that I buy it for $150 this month and I get you know a partial share of it. The next month, let's say that some bad news happened, which actually has happened recently, which has caused the price to drop to 169 uh, with the you know allegations of the battery and the things that have been going on with that has driven the price down a little bit. Let's say that continues the next month and you want to buy some more of Apple the next month. So let's say it drops to $142. Now you can buy more than a share. And so every single month that you continue to invest in that company, over the year, you're going to spend $150 per, per month and you're going to buy, you know, shares of Apple every single month. And because the price of that stock is going to fluctuate every month, it allows you to buy more or less shares of that company, which will compound over time. And especially a company that pays dividends, which is that Andrew and I's favorite thing to talk about, and we'll discuss that more next week, these things will allow you to, you know, get more money into the market and continue to build your wealth. And the great thing about dollar cost averaging is it does allow you to buy into the market at you know levels that us mere mortals can invest in. So you know the people that are making half a million a year or more, you know they're you know doctors, you know lawyers, people of that ilk, they can afford to drop you know big hunks of money, twenty thousand, fifty thousand bucks into the market at a time if they want to, and they can pick and choose when they buy things and, and this that and everything. But dollar cost averaging is a great way to help 
take a smaller amount of money and invest it into the stock market every single month over the course of a long period of time, you know, with you having buying dividend paying stocks, all that is going to compound and compound and compound and compound. And that's how you build wealth in the stock market. You know, not all of us can be Warren Buffett and have $569 billion laying around to, you know, go out and buy a company. So this is the way we do it. And it's a great way to, you know, invest and really make the, your money work for you. You know, if you take that $150 just in the comparison and you put that in a bank account right now, in a savings account, let's say, um, most large banks are going to be paying less than 1% on that money. 1%, less than 1%. So that means at the end of the year, you're going to be lucky if you make a couple bucks on all that money that you've invested over the course of, of the year. Now, with the dollar cost averaging, you're going to be putting putting that money in every single month. And if that stock goes up 5% and you take away the fees that you've had to use to, to invest over the course of the month, you could easily make 2 or 3% over the course of the, of the year. And that's just being conservative. And so there is great, great potential with using the stock market to help you grow your wealth. Yeah, and what's so, you know, obviously it gives you great, like like Dave said, it gives you great potential and the ability to really get out there right away. It also keeps you away from trying to time the market too much. So if, if you're setting, you know, dollar cost averaging means you're buying a certain amount every single month. And like I said, I like to do 150 by doing that, you're always in the market and you're never timing it. Because if you're buying every month, at the end of the day, you're always picking up more shares no matter if the market's up, no matter where the market's down. And so by doing that, you're taking a lot of the risk of maybe buying at the top, like we said. And even though over a long time period that might not matter, you're also averaging and buying in at the bottom too. So it's really just going to boost and, and beef up your returns the longer and longer you do it. And obviously setting habits is, is another great way to, to really cement uh, good results. And by setting habits and, and, and keeping your budget low and, and always putting money in, that's it's going to be a fantastic way to, to see your wealth grow just like the market does. And it's, it's really going to compound in a really nice way. And, that's what's really that's what really makes the market beautiful and what makes investing so great is compounding. I didn't even go into the numbers that are also really basic that you can look up where it says that, you know, over a 90 90 year time period you can look at at the S&P 500 and you can see its average 10% annualized a year. Uh, you can look at like there was a study by Mal Merrill Lynch that looked at value stocks and, and saw those average 17% a year over a 90-year time period. There's all those other types of studies there. And so when you're investing and when you're looking at making more money, the next thing to understand is compound interest and annual returns and what that means for your money. So I always talk about on the podcast how people should use a compound interest calculator, type in their own numbers and, and see where that gets you. I talk about it over and over and over again. And it's really because I think that's something that makes it click for you. When you see a graph, you know, we talk about the stock market kind of going from left to right, from bottom left, top right. 
but compound interest curve, it does the same thing, but it skyrockets up. Uh, we're talking about exponential growth. We're talking about money, money getting added to your account. And the longer it happens, the faster and faster it gets added. So you might see little, little additions in the beginning and it compounds into massive additions near the tail end. And so why I like $150 a month as an example is because taking that over and, and, you know, plugging into a compound interest calculator and plugging in 11% as your return. So remember stock market, 10% average returns, 11%, very conservative just to say if we can outperform by 1% a year by picking good stocks, which is what we try to do on the podcast. So take $150 a month. 1% a 1% over the average for a year, 11% a year. And look at a 40-year time period and just let the money grow, let the businesses do its job and let the money compound. What are the results? You get over a million dollars in that time period. So really we're talking about what the price of a cell phone bill and eventually becoming a millionaire because of that. And again, this is all very conservative. This we don't know what the market does. We don't know what your skills are as a stock picker. We don't even know if, if you can afford to invest more. And I have a lot of readers, listeners, e-letter subscribers, VTI clients, all telling me that they're investing more than 150 and they're getting great results. So your ending results can, can be a lot greater than even these conservative examples that I always give. Um, that's why I really always recommend kind of using a compound interest calculator and just understanding that these basic principles really apply to us all, but the results can vary and, and it can be, again, I like to say conservative because I think that that allows for everybody to be included, but we, we could be talking about serious millionaires, serious, serious wealth being grown for the next couple decades. And, and, it, and there's just a lot of potential. So you need to understand compound interest. You need to plug it into a calculator for yourself if you don't understand it. And you need to understand that on its most basic level, it is putting your money to work. I think we talked about this a little bit of having having your money as, as their own little workers that, that are all creating more wealth for you. And so as your money earns money and you reinvest that money, not only do you have the initial amount that, that you're earning, you have a dollar cost averaging, which is another chunk of money that you're adding the next month that's going to earn more money. But then you have these little these little pieces of money that that were earned already and you pile those in and now that earns more money. And so that's where you get explosive growth. That's where you get exponential growth is because all these things add up over time and the more the more you pile in, the more time goes on and the longer time is allowed to, to work and, you know, even businesses, you, you might, you might buy stocks that you might have a business that's like the next game changer and it could be compounding your wealth much faster than 10 or 11%. We could be talking about 20%, 40%, you know, maybe 17 to 20% a year. That's not, that's not unrealistic to, to see a stock do that. And so now you have money that you've put in and is now compounding at 20%. And then you're reinvesting that and, and that's compounding at another 20%. And you just see, there's just so much 
explosive growth and, and potential that, that can really happen when, when you apply compound interest, when you apply dollar cost averaging, when you apply long-term investing, it's, it's just so much potential. And I think, again, it, it's, it can get lost because when people jump into the markets, again, they, they see the short term, they see, they see a stock that maybe quadrupled in a short amount of time and they think that's the key to making money. And it's really not. It's, it's going based on averages, going based on history, going based on the things that we can expect to happen, the things that we've seen happen and putting our bets, quote unquote, putting our bets on that. And so utilizing long-term investing means being able to smooth out all the business cycles. Using diversification is another way of doing that. Using dollar cost averaging is another way of smoothing out cycles and always adding money and always growing your wealth. And the final key to that is compound interest. And so when you have money that's making money and then the new money is making money and the old money continues to make money and then you have more new money and then that new money is making new money because the stock market's growing it and you're reinvesting it. It just balloons. Okay. You just have, you have like a, like a, like a little pond and it just grows out or, or the way the universe just kind of grows out with light. Right. That's just what you have. And, and there's just so many different metaphors. You have the snowball metaphor where, you know, money accumulates and, and it's just like pushing a snowball down the hill. At first, it takes a lot of effort. And then as the snowball gets down the hill, it collects more and more snow. And the amount of snow it collects grows and accelerates. And soon you don't even have to touch the snowball and it continues to roll down the hill. All these different metaphors for compound interest. Um, and they still don't give the concept of it enough justice. And that's really where the key to all of this stuff really is. And this is why you want to put your money to work is because it can create small amounts of wealth into huge amounts of wealth. So I guess I just can't stress enough trying a compound interest calculator for yourself. Everybody's going to have a different time period. Everybody's going to have a different amount that they can invest and everybody's going to have a different amount of skill level when it comes to actually picking those stocks. So definitely kind of play with that. If you don't do anything else, you know, Play with that and see if you don't all of a sudden feel more confident that, yes, this is why I'm going to win in the stock market. This is why investing is so powerful. It's not because I'm the next Warren Buffett. It's not because I'm going to somehow pick the right stocks. It's not even because, you know, I'm, I'm going to, because I, I was born at a certain time period and, you know, I'm, I'm, I just happened to buy in before a bull market. You really don't have to worry about any of that if you get all of the principles we talk about today in set in place. Then it becomes something where it automatically all works together for you. And that's what's going to be your key to success. And it's really something that people honestly just don't take the time to, to like I said at the beginning, they don't take the time to master it. So they, they might like skip it or gloss it over. And it just makes a huge impact. It's one of those things that just works in the background and you don't realize until the time is done that, man, if, if I would have just done this and, and just been patient and, and just had the right long-term approach, my results could have been so different. So don't let that 
don't let the non flashiness of, of these concepts kind of blow by you and, and really take them to heart and use them in your own approaches. And then at the end of the day, it's all the other stuff that, you know, 90% of the concerns I get through email from people doesn't matter when you understand these things and when you put them into place, it just automatically puts the business world on your side and lets business grow your money. And that's, that's, that's what investing is. And that's what we need to understand. Those are all excellent points. And, you know, I think, you know, to continue to hammer what Andrew was saying home, Warren Buffett didn't achieve his superstar celebrity investor stardom until about 20 years ago. He's been doing it for about 50 years and 50 years plus. And, you know, granted, you know, he's, he's the best investor in our generation and arguably the best investor ever. And he's made, you know, countless hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. But I think the point that I'm trying to make with his example is, is that he was a buy and hold investor and he's been patient and he's been in the market for a really long time. And he understood the impact of compound interest. And the last thing that I want to say about compound interest is that a very smart man, Albert Einstein, called it the eighth wonder of the world. And it truly is. And it's something that's a shame that it's not taught in schools. And the effect of it is staggering. And like Andrew was talking about, you know, the, the biggest thing that we can do for ourselves to help ourselves, our future selves, is to let our money work for us. Instead of us working for our money, we need to have our money working for us. And compound interest and investing in the stock market is one of the greatest ways to do it. And it's, you know, it's one of the greatest forms of passive investing that you can, you know, come across, especially with dividend investing. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us for tonight. I appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed our additional comments on back to basics next week we're going to wrap it up with our final discussion we teased on it a little bit and we'll talk to you guys next week you guys have a great week go out and invest with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety and we have a great week and we'll talk to you next year we hope you enjoyed this content seven steps to understanding the stock market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 